We're going to be in James chapter 2 this morning. Several weeks ago, we looked at James chapter 1, and James chapter 1 basically <clears throat> talks about the trials that we have in life. And every single person in this room, if you have any kind of experience in life, you're going to go through trials. You're going to go through difficult times. Also in chapter 1, James gives us a good definition of what sin is and how sin uh, permeates in our life and how we need to uh, really take control of that. And so chapter 2, uh, James is going to give us a good lesson on what faith is. And so these two things are really uh, go hand in hand, don't they? Our trials in life is going to be determined, or our, our outcome of our trials are going to be determined by our faith. If we have good, strong faith in God, the trials that we have in this life, we are going to be able to get through them with the help of God. As I mentioned earlier, we've been watching videos on Wednesday, and the one that we saw this past week was how God took his people through the desert back in the Old Testament. And one of the reasons that the, the narrator of this movie said that God did that. It was so that they could rely upon God. And we need to understand that, don't we? We all go through deserts in our life. We all go through trials and temptations and difficulties. But that is when we need to put our faith and our trust in God the most. And not look at God as forsaking us. But here in chapter 2, I love chapter 2, we are very familiar with chapter 2 because James talks about our faith. <coughs> Excuse me. And so we're going to kind of just go through these verses this morning. We're not going to be super in-depth on a lot of these, but we're going to look at chapter 2 and look at our faith and how our faith is going to be what takes us through this life. So my first point this morning is that we need to share our faith with everyone. And that's what James tells us here in chapter 2 and verse number 1. He says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. In other words, we cannot show favoritism when it comes to sharing our faith with someone out in the world. We must show our faith and share our faith with every single person. James goes on here in verse number 2 and in verse number 3 and gives us an example of what sometimes people do. He says, For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come into a uh, come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and you say to him, you sit here in a good place, and to the poor man, you say, you sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? But we do that sometimes, don't we? Now, we would never put the rich people in the front. That's the spit area of the preacher. So we put the, we put the, 
the important people, the rich people, we put them back in those two chairs back there, and we put the poor people up here. That reminds me of something. We went, when Jessica was in uh, a band in high school, uh, we went to a trip to Chicago, and they uh, got tickets for us to see uh, a group called Blue Man Group. Did you ever hear of them before? They're, they're all painted blue. They don't say a word for the two hours that they have a show. They just sit there and they beat on drums. They beat on buckets and all kinds of stuff. But they put us in the first two rows. And they gave us all rain ponchos to wear. Let me tell you something. That's not a good idea. When you walk into an area and they give you a rain poncho and say, please put this on before you sit down, whoa, look out, it's coming. They had paint flying everywhere in the first two rows, and we were there. I mean, we loved it, yeah, throw some my way. But we don't do that, do we? Or we should not do that. We should not show preference to the rich or to the poor. It doesn't matter what skin color you have. It doesn't matter. We need to share the gospel with everybody. Because James tells us here in verse number 4 that partiality or favoritism comes from an evil thought. And that's probably true, isn't it? Favoritism or partiality comes from us thinking evil things. That person over there does not deserve to hear the gospel. I saw them last week. They were out getting drunk. They were shooting up drugs. They were snorting cocaine. That person does not need, they don't deserve the gospel. Who do we think we are? That person's too poor. If they come in the church and we baptize that person, we'll have to help them instead of the church. Uh, how's that go? We'll have to help them instead of them helping us. So let's just not tell them about Jesus. We need the rich people. We need to go down to Hoewisher and convert every single person down there because just like that, our tithes and offerings will be out the roof. James said, don't do that. We should not show partiality to the poor or to the rich. If a man is black or a man is white or if a man is yellow or if he's red, it doesn't matter. We all need to hear the gospel. Why is showing partiality wrong? And I thought about this this week as I wrote these down. It's inconsistent with what Jesus did and what Jesus taught. Remember in Jesus' days, there was a group of people that were really hated by the Jews. Who were they? The Samaritans, weren't they? I mean, the Jews could kind of handle the Gentiles. They had to live with them. They had to, to barter with them and trade with them. But they hated the Samaritans. The Samaritan was a half-breed. They were half-Jew and half-Gentile. They hated the Samaritans. They hated them so much that they would not walk through their city. They would walk around the city. Did Jesus do that? Did Jesus show partiality to the Samaritans? I'm not going to go in there. Ew, pew. They smell. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus shared the gospel. He talked to a Samaritan woman, and she was even surprised that he was talking to her. But Jesus did not show partiality. It goes against what Jesus did and what Jesus taught. 
As we see here in verse 4, partiality originates from an evil thought. As I mentioned before, maybe that person doesn't deserve the gospel. Maybe that's our thinking. Well, guess what? Neither do we. Jesus died for us. Jesus died for every single person. As Levi and I try to impress upon you, every single person has a soul. They are made in the very image of God. And that's what makes us important. Do you think when God looks down upon us that God sees dollar signs? Do you think when God looks down upon us, he thinks, wow, that person's got it together, and that person sure doesn't? You think God thinks that? We are all made in the image of God, and so we all have value. And then lastly, why is partiality wrong? Well, because it shows a lack of mercy to them who may be less fortunate than us. It shows a lack of mercy. What's the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so if we want people to show mercy to us, we must be willing to show mercy to them. Jesus puts it this way, if you want your Father to forgive you, you must be willing to forgive others. And so those things work both ways. But as we go back here to James chapter 2, and let's look at verse number 5, because James tells us, he says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chose the poor of this world to be rich in faith, in heirs of the kingdom with which he promised to those who loved him? James says, more than likely, the poor are going to be more receptive to the word than the rich. And think about the 12 disciples that Jesus put together. They weren't very wealthy men, were they? They were fishermen. They weren't thought very highly of. They typically weren't very um, educated. And so Jesus took these men, the men that people didn't think much of, and he completely changed the world with these 12 men. But oftentimes, the poor is more receptive to the Word of God. Because if you look at verse 6, and also verse 7, James goes on to say, You have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? You know, the rich are oftentimes content where they are, and they oftentimes think that it was them that got their wealth. You can look in the world today, and we have extremely wealthy people. We have, I think, over a couple hundred billionaires that live in America. And oftentimes, the rich think, hey, I got where I am because I worked hard. I did this. I deserve every single thing. I mean, the richest man in the world right now is Elon Musk, right? I think he's worth about $100 billion, something like that. And he goes out and he buys a website, Twitter, and he spends $45 billion on something that you can't even see. You can't put your hands on it. What could he do with $45 billion if he wanted to do something good? I'm not saying that buying 
Twitter is good or bad, but couldn't he have taken that $45 billion and have done something a little bit more better with that? I think so. And so oftentimes the rich think, it's me, 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 it's I, it's me. Remember the rich young ruler there uh, in Scripture where his problem was his riches, wasn't it? God, Jesus said, go and take everything that you have, sell it, and then give it to the poor. And he said, Jesus, that's a good idea. I never thought about that before. Is that what he said? He went away, and the Bible says in the American Standard Version, his face fell. You could see physically that his face changed, and he went away sorrowful because his riches had a hold of him. And so James tells us that we are to not show partiality to anyone, but we are to continue to show that gospel to every single person. Verse number 8, If we really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. So again, that was the second greatest commandment, wasn't it? The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. James said, listen, why don't you just do that commandment? Why don't you love your neighbor? It doesn't matter if he's rich or poor, if he's black or white, if he's male or female. It doesn't matter who they are, just love them. And man, wouldn't the world be a better place if we would just learn to love our neighbor? Again, when you watch the news and you see all kinds of bad things going on, people shooting each other and, and all the things that go on in the evil, wicked world that we live in, those things would all change if we just learned to love each other. When we can learn to love our neighbor, when we can learn to look at him or her and say that is a lost soul, that if they continue in the path that they are going, they're going to be doomed from Jesus and God for eternity, if we can think of them like that, we will love them and we will try to get them to see the error of their ways. And so we are to do that. Verse number 9, partiality is sin. There's just no way of sugarcoating it. If you show favoritism, if you are showing partiality, that is sin. Verse 9, but if you show partiality, James says, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, he also said, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. James says partiality is sin. When we think that we are the ones that can dictate who gets the gospel and who doesn't, we are in sin. We are in error thinking that way. And James kind of gives two examples there of committing adultery and committing murder. He says if you do one but not the other, it's the same thing as committing a whole or breaking the whole law. Impartiality is the same thing. So if we want to show mercy, we have to be willing to show mercy to others. In verse number 12, James says, So speak and so do as those who will be judged 
by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If we want people to show mercy to us, if we want people to show grace to us, we must be willing to do the same thing to them. We don't oftentimes do that, do we? We want people to forgive us, but we like to hold grudges. And those grudges may have been from 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. Those people may have died and been long gone, but yet we still hold grudges against them. Why? It kind of reminds me of Matthew chapter 18. Stick your finger there in James chapter 2. We'll be going back to it. But Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives us a story. Uh, I call it the unmerciful servant. Remember this? This is the... Um, the, the parable of a man that was forgiven a very large debt. And I couldn't imagine being made whole from that. And let's just pick up the story here in Matthew chapter 18, um, in verse number 24, 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That was a debt that could never be paid. I told you I like math, and so I had to sit down years ago and figure out exactly how much of a debt this was. A talent is about 75 pounds, and a talent was about 3,000 shekels. A shekel is four days' wage. So if you worked Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, at the end of Thursday, they would give you a coin called a shekel, and that was your pay for those four days. This man owed 10,000 talents. So if you do the math, he owed 120 million days of work. A debt that could never be paid. If you divide that, I just took 365 days. If you was to work every day of your life to try to pay this off, it would take you approximately 918,000 years. It's not going to happen, right? It's not going to happen. And so this king saw him and said, Listen, I am going to forgive you of that debt. Could you imagine how that felt? to have that relief taken off of your chest, to have a debt wiped away that you could never pay. And now he is clean. But there was a person, another servant, that owed him some money, and he owed him, in verse number 28, he owed him a hundred denarii. Now a denarii is just one day's wage. So he owed him a hundred days' wage which could have easily been paid, right? But this unmerciful servant, the one who owed the king an insurmountable amount, failed to show mercy on the man that owed him a hundred days. So much so that the Bible says he grabbed him by the neck, shook him, you will pay me this. And when the king heard about it, the king wasn't very happy, was he? 
And he threw that unmerciful servant in prison basically for the rest of his life. And so you have to put on your spiritual glasses here because a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. What is the spiritual application that Jesus is trying to get us to know? Well, the king is God, isn't it? We are that unmerciful servant who had such a great debt that we could never, ever, ever, never, ever pay it. But God forbid that we do what that unmerciful servant did, that he failed or refused to allow that man to have his debt wiped clean as well. And so, man, that is, that is powerful stuff right there when we look at it that way. When we look at the spiritual application here, Jesus is saying, don't be that guy. Don't be that person. God forgave you. I died for your sins. The least that you can do is be willing to show mercy to other people. And so going back to James chapter 2, we can see that first of all, our faith cannot be shown in partiality. It must be shown to everyone. My second point this morning, our faith must be an active faith. Our faith must be an active faith. Man, we can say a lot, don't we? Or we can say a lot. But our actions speak louder than words, don't they? We can say, yes, I'm a Christian. We can say, yes, I'm faithful. We can say, yes, I want to do everything that God wants me to do. But the answer or the question is, are you really doing it? Actions speak louder than words. Our faith must be in active faith. James gives us an example here in verse number 14. He says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Actions speak louder than words. If we know that a brother or sister is in need, maybe even physical need, and we refuse to help them, whew, watch out. Actions speak louder than words. Our faith must be an act of faith. Oh, brother, I'm praying for you. You ever said that before or somebody said that to you? You're kind of in a tough spot and somebody says, oh, I'm praying for you. Is that all you got? What can you do to help that person? Well, the church will help them. Scott and I just talked about that a little bit ago. Is that really the church? Yes, yeah, our obligation, but isn't the individual's obligation as well to help people when we see them in need? We don't have to make a big fanfare about it. We don't have to have a big parade saying, hey, I'm going to help so-and-so. We don't have to do those things, but we need to do something. And so our faith must be in active faith. In verse number 17, it says, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? It's dead, isn't it? It has absolutely no value. If you have faith, and it's over here in the corner, I have faith, but I never do anything with it, that faith is going to die, and it is dead. 
It takes both working together. He says that in verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. That's the key, isn't it? I'll show you my faith by my works. How's the saying go? I don't do good works to become a Christian. I am a Christian, that's why I do good works. Something that effect. And that's the difference there, isn't it? We can't do enough good things to earn our salvation, but because we are a Christian and we have salvation, we show that to those around us. Oh, I'm trying to think. Matthew chapter 6, what does Jesus say? Oh, here it is. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let people see the good things that you are doing so that they will glorify and praise not you, but they will glorify and praise our Heavenly Father. That's what it's all about. But our faith and our works must come together. In verse number 19, he goes and continues this thought. He said, you believe that there is one God? Belief and faith are very closely connected. You have faith that there is one God? You do well. The demons believe and they tremble. Did you ever think about that? The demons believe in God. And they shake in their boots. I jokingly say, and this is just joke, the church up in Bakken's is only believe ministries. I say that's where the devil attends church. He believes in God. I don't think that's quite enough. I think God expects more. God demands more. But the devil believes in God. And he shakes in his boots. His knees hit each other because he knows the power that God has. And so just belief, just having faith, is not going to be enough. It takes much more than that. And quickly this morning, as we start to wind down, there's a two examples that we'll look at about faith and works. The first one is Abraham. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Man, again, that's one, one of the most powerful things in Scripture that I can think of is when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son. The son that God promised him for years and years and years, he finally gets, he finally raises this young boy up to, to be probably a, a teenager, late teens, and God says, listen, Abraham, i got something for you to do. I want you to go take your son and kill him. Offer him as a burnt offering to me. And again, if that was me, I would have said, God, I, I don't think I can do that. But Abraham saddled up his donkey. He took two young men with him. He took Isaac with him. And he went to the lane of Moriah to go sacrifice his son. He was going to do it because he had faith in God. And his actions showed that faith. But the second person, the second example here is a very curious one because it's a woman that was in the city of Jericho when God uh, had uh, them send spies in and this woman saved those spies. She hid them. What was her name? Rahab. And Rahab was somewhat of an ill repute character, wasn't it? Rahab was a prostitute. 
But the Bible tells us here that Rahab had faith in God. I'll have to look this up. I'm not for sure if the word faith is even mentioned in the Old Testament or not. If it is, it's probably just a couple of times. But you did, did you realize, let me do this again, did you realize that Rahab is mentioned three times in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, in the lineage of Jesus, Hebrews chapter 11, and James chapter 2, two out of those three times, Rahab is mentioned as a woman of great faith. And her faith was an active faith. She was willing to do whatever it took to hide those spies, to grant them safety so that they can return back and say, listen, Jericho can be taken. She only had one request. When you come back to destroy this city, I want me and my family to be saved. Remember what the spies told her? You stay in your house, you and your family, and when we come back here, if you're in your house, your house will be saved. I don't know how long it took for the spies to go back and then come back and ultimately destroy Jericho. But I would dare say that Rahab got her mom and got her dad and got her brothers and sisters and said, listen family, you're going to come to my house and you're not leaving this house until I tell you. Because she had great faith in God. And again, Rahab was a prostitute. She was a harlot. But again, it shows to me that God can use a person, no matter who they are, God can use you, and he can make you a great example of how the kingdom needs to be. Where is your faith this morning? Are you sharing your faith with those around you? Are you sharing your faith with your neighbor, with your family, with your friends? Is your faith an active faith? Are you walking the walk and are you talking the talk? Remember, faith without works is dead. 